0: We are back at it, Gumbo listeners. I'm your host, Demetrius, bringing you episode number 117. And I am honored to have Brian Valalanga, CEO and founder of Doppler on today. And Brian was also recently featured in Forbes 30 Under 30. He runs Doppler, a company helping thousands of developers manage their application configuration and secrets. And Doppler has also raised funds from the likes of Sequoia, Google, Peter Thiel, Greg Brockman of OpenAI and Nat Friedman of GitHub. And in this episode, Brian discusses the three layers of the secrets management industry, how encryption is used as the vehicle to keep your secrets secure, and why not having a secrets manager can bite you later on. So let's get right into the episode welcome to the gumbo brian how are you today good glad to be here yeah brian it is definitely awesome to have you on and i am really looking forward to having this conversation with you and particularly about uh, some of the things around secrets like what type of secrets are we talking about and uh, we're, we're not talking about secrets that are shared on on TikTok or linkedin or facebook or some of the other social platforms right we're talking Something that's more important, um, that's security and cybersecurity focus. So, Brian, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about Doppler and also just about the company overall? Sure, sure. So
1: Doppler is a universal secrets manager, so we we help developers store application configuration and secrets. And just as you mentioned, these aren't like the secrets that are shared on uh, TikTok or like the secrets to success or something. they're They're more of software secrets that are used by applications to to talk with each other. And a lot of times, like a good example is like if you go on Airbnb for, uh, for example, and I'm looking for the home that i'm gonna I'm gonna rent for the weekend that um that website is talking to a server and that server is talking to a database and the server needs to be able to authenticate into that database and that requires an API key or a secret and that would be the thing that we'd be storing
0: the gumbo listeners they're, they're pretty versed on on multiple topics so automation is one and security is another backup and recovery is also another broad topic that we talk about on the show here um, but secrets management and you know just going into secrets you know let's start off with you know what what is secrets management yeah and uh, honestly i think
1: secrets management in general for the industry is quite new so i mean for anyone listening doesn't know i mean a couple years ago i didn't know either so and kind of stumbled into this um so secrets management is uh the practice of storing these secrets securely as a kind of name Uh, mentions it's or implies it's, it's not really meant to get out in the public and so you have this like interesting challenge where you have to make sure everyone in the company who should have access to it does have access to it and when they change they get those updates but no one else does so uh, no, no person in the public or, or just outside, uh, I guess, a perimeter defense or like, if you think about least privileged access, only the right people at the right time should have access to it and, and make sure that they get those updates. And a secrets manager essentially helps, to, uh, helps you with doing that by giving you the tooling and security, uh, best practices you need to, to do that at scale.
0: And I know this is something really big. Uh, HashiCorp is, I guess, a really, really big company that's into secrets. And they they have uh, an entire platform around secrets management. How is what Doppler does is that comparable or is that different? You know, what's the difference in what HashiCorp do, does with their product and and what Doppler does with uh, with secrets?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I kind of think about the whole space is th- in three different layers. So you have the storage layer, which is the pure job is if hey you give me a secret, I encrypt it and make sure it stays secure. Um, The management layer, which is the tooling humans use, like me and you, uh, to manage those secrets. And then the automation layer, which is now that I have these secrets in a management plane, how do I get them into all the right places that can use them? Because secrets on their own aren't useful until they're being used. And I think HashiCorp solves one of those layers. They do the storage layer. And I think they do it really, really well. Uh, obviously, with any with any project, there there's some bumps in the road, and I think they've done a decent job of handling that. But I think they stay at that one level, uh, one layer. And what we try to do is we try to be the entire stack. So, a good example of that is like, you, um, imagine Dropbox, right? So, or, or Google Drive, right? I give you, a f- or I add a file and I share it with you and I get all these management features just right off the bat and super seamless as a human to use. Mm-hmm. Now, behind the scenes, they're probably using Amazon S3 or the GCP equivalent to actually store those. And I would say that the, the storage layer, like HatchCorp Vault is essentially encrypted S3, where we come in and uh, we provide you that Dropbox or Google Drive level experience.
0: Okay. Gotcha, and there's also automation platforms out there like Puppet and, and Ansible, right? That and we work you know, with can them. help you work with them. Okay, exactly. And how exactly do you, do you work with them? Is that more just around you? You make it more simpler, or you make it easier, or what, how does that integration look?
1: Yeah, so. Our automation layer is about taking the the secrets that are in Doppler. So we kind of think of ourselves as like the central source of truth. Um, a good analogy would be like GitHub, right? You you put your code in GitHub, and then GitHub will then push it to AWS or to GCP or to Ansible or Chef or wherever. The same the same model applies with Doppler. You put your secrets in Doppler, and then Doppler's automations will push that into wherever it needs to be. So we have integrations with AWS, GCP, Vercel, Nellify, Heroku. Um, Ansible Chef, you you name it, Terraform, we we have an integration with it, and the goal is that when something changes in Doppler, we then push it to wherever that integration is, or we kind of consider it a destination, right? So we'll push it into your deployments um, in in whatever way that you th- is is best for for your uh, existing pipeline today.
0: Okay, and does this help with I guess the concern around as an enterprise? has to scale encryption. Is this something that that helps with that?
1: Yeah, it does in a way. I think encryption is like the vehicle to keep um, your secrets secure. And one of the big problems that a lot of enterprises faces, it's very easy when they're like a 10, 15, even 20 person team to kind of do this. And they're like, hey, this is the playbook. But when you start scaling out to the hundreds of thousands of engineers, you may have hundreds of projects being actively worked on and those projects are all doing things in different ways. And so there's no coordination between them. There's no common practices. There's no central source of truth where you can look at everything. And if um, if you kind of don't have a map of where you know all your secrets are, when you need to change something, it becomes really bad. And when you need to like maybe update an encryption standard, for example, you don't know where all those secrets are, it's really bad. Or the worst case scenario, which we've seen quite often is uh, developers are, and I'm one of them, so I'm going to say this, including myself, we're lazy people. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't have to do something, we won't. And so uh, if you're 200 projects in, you may, you may not be using encryption anymore because that was just a little bit too much effort for for what was needed. And it didn't feel like the risk was, uh, was there to justify it. And, and that's where we kind of come in. And it's like, hey, we're going to make something super, super simple that is even easier than doing nothing. Um, because like nothing would be like no encryption. You still have all these pains around or uh, seeking secrets. And we'll give you that right off the bat. And in exchange uh, for getting all these productivity gains, you're going to get better encryption and better security.
0: Okay. And Brian, there's also a lot of talk about ransomware right now. And I'm just thinking for the Gumbo listeners, what where does secrets management come into play, I guess, as it pertains oh, to big time. ransomware?
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll paint a picture for you. Imagine you're a developer and, um, at some company and you have like a, you're like a couple hundred person or a thousand person engineering or something like that. And you're working on a project that requires AWS. So you have an, uh, an AWS API key that they give you, or I guess they call it an access key and a secret key. Um, and you decide to put that in code. Right. And, um, a year goes by, two years go by, and that and that secret's still in code. And at some point, you decide, oh, that's not a great idea. Let's pull it out of code, which is a good idea to pull it out of code. And then at some point, you're like, ah, oh, let's open source this project because we're going to do this for a marketing initiative. right? This thing that we built is amazing. We, we believe the community should have it. Well, that secret's still there in Git. And so what's going to happen is within about 45 seconds of that repo going public, a bunch of bots are going to find it. And then a couple things can happen. Um, One, they start spinning up resources uh, uncontrollably. And I have friends that have had this exact happen to them uh, where they got a million dollar bill from
0: AWS.
1: (laughs) When their usual bill is a couple hundred dollars or the worst case scenario, like a really good hacker, um, and they know what they're doing is they wait for a second, they figure out the, uh, the lay of the land within AWS, and then they try to cause the most amount of damage. And usually what they'll do there is they'll shut off everything, they'll lock everybody out, and then they'll be like, hey, I have the only key in the kingdom. You're gonna have to pay to let me back in. And this is where like not having a secrets manager bites you and it's kind of like one of those things, like I I tell all of my security friends this and I think it's really true. Like the best thing you could possibly do is if you're a security professional, say, is advocate for a secrets manager. And even for a company that you're not, like just post about on Twitter, post about it in other places, because someday you're gonna go work at one of these startups, right? And the startup is gonna have seven years of baggage of security that they could have, uh, or five years, or whatever it may be, that could have been handled from day one if they heard you say, use a secrets manager back then, right? And so really, when secrets management happens, it's not that it bites you in the butt. Uh, You did something today and then it bites you in the butt today. It's going to be you did something three years ago and then all of a sudden some other thing happens, like the marketing team decides to open source this thing and boom, uh, something that was private just became public and a whole bunch of problems just happened.
0: Mm. Wow. Why does it have to be the marketing team? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it could be the developer team. I mean, whoever it may be, but eventually someday, or it could be another one is like an email thread. People will share API keys all the time over email, which is terrible. Really? And then someone hmm. forwards it to someone and they're like, hey, look at this for context. And if you look 20 emails deep in the thread, there's an API key there. And if someone has malicious intent, well, they may act on it.
0: Wow. That's, that's a little scary because, you know, there, there was a story my brother shared to me. He was he was doing something that he he shouldn't have been doing and his information got hacked. And and you know how you, they do the MFA, uh, two-factor yep. authentication. They send it to your cell phone. So I think they cloned his cell phone, um, wow. like the the key or something or whatever his SIM card is. They cloned it virtually and had the um, phone and cloned his phone number and had it routed to another location.
1: Oh, he, so they were getting all future
0: calls and texts. Right. That he, he didn't have anything. So he thought oh, yeah, I have two-factor authentication and and MFA turned on, so I'm good. But he realized that he was not getting that. And I mean that he was, like, very, very, very scared. (laughs) It took him a couple of days. I mean, that's
1: where YubiKeys come in and help. Um, Now, imagine that same exact scenario, but instead of it just being an individual, it's a company, right? And so it's not just like – and companies are, like, this arbitrary thing of, like, oh, there's this company, and I don't really know how to – size or scale like the, the the damage that can happen if a company gets breached but think about what companies do they serve as customers right so like imagine if netflix with all the hundreds of millions of users they had and all of those usernames and passwords got breached people share or use passwords again and again right i did this in a long time until i oh, got yeah. into the security space and so like that password that was used for next netflix could be used for the bank account as well and they have your email address right um and and if they swim uh sim swap you too or sim copy right then they got two fa so i mean it can get really scary where like one company can lead to like 500 million people's cre- uh, credentials and and lives are just impacted in, in like one moment in time
0: yeah Crazy stuff. So I, I'm really glad that we have you on here so, so so you can share some insight for that. And are you seeing any big trends in the industry just around creating the need for secrets management? I know security is one, but are, are there any others?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, glad you asked. There are three big trends, actually. Um, they're all kind of happening at the same, same time. So imagine like three waves when you're surfing and the wave just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, the first one is that if you go back in time, a lot of people just had like, well, like companies had like one project, right? And it was just like this really big project. Google's, I think, a famous example of this, where they had this one big monolith where everything's stored, including Android code. There's one repo. I think that's the case. It may be different now, but it was. Now you have multiple projects, microservices and macroservices and whatever's in between. And because of that, you have all these different projects done in all different ways, that kind of need to be organized, secured. You need the full like storage management and, and automation layer for every single one of them. And when you have different teams working on different projects, it can quickly get crazy because people are doing different things and there's no there's uh, no source of truth in, on both process and in storage. So that's one where it's like just more projects than ever. The second is that uh, third-party services like Doppler or like Stripe or like Twilio are being used more and more. And so you have more s- secrets than you ever did before. Like if you go back like 20 years, or I guess 10 years, maybe like 10 or 15, people were probably building their own payment processors. Like that was a thing. And now it's like you just use stripe and you implement it in five minutes and you're done mm. but now you have another key to manage right. right or i guess two keys you have the test and you have the production one and so times that out by all the services you have like mm-hmm. adopt uh, Doppler or other companies like i think at uber we had like hundreds of services we were using so hundreds of services times like three api keys or two api keys adds up quite quick per project it just gets really intense and um and then last one is you have more places that those secrets need to be in sync right you have bigger and bigger engineering teams, you have more and more clouds, like especially if you're doing multi-cloud and more deployments. So like the way I kind of think about it is like, imagine you have a touch point, which is like a place where of risk, um, where like if this touch point ever got leaked, that could be really damaging for in the customers and for the company. Right. Mm-hmm. So a few times the number of projects times it by the number of secrets, uh, times that by the number of clouds, times that by the number of developers, that's all the touch points, right? And maybe that's, that formula is a little off, but I think we can get the implied meaning there, which is like, that is a whole lot of touch points that every company has, and that number is just only growing, right? And I think that is what's creating it because every touch point is a point of risk and a secrets manager could have with that. And that doesn't have to be Doppler. You don't have to use Doppler. I mean, I'd love it if you did, but you don't have to, it's just
0: use something to keep, keep your customer's data secure and if you think we're even close to being finished dropping data protection knowledge gumbo listeners we have some more ingredients to share with you as soon as we get back from thanking our sponsors fortanix is a data first multi-cloud security company that is redefining data security headquartered in silicon valley and founded in 2016 with the goal of solving cloud security and privacy challenges fortanix decouples security from infrastructure security becomes a property of the data itself and you gain complete control over your data even when the infrastructure is compromised fortanix unified data security platform empowers you to protect your most important asset first your global data from one centralized place and gives you unmatched control of your data security across public private and hybrid clouds all that with an easy to use automation friendly solution loved by developers security teams and auditors with Fortanix your data remains secure wherever it goes visit Fortanix.com to start a free trial and to Brian we're back in now and before the break you were talking about the astronomical number of touch points that's creating points of risk and how secrets managers can help keep your customers data secure So for the rest of this episode, let's get into how AI and the future of secrets management will shake out. Also, one of the newer trends as well, everyone's talking about AI, artificial intelligence. Where does that that sit within secrets management? Is that... Something that's um, being considered to to being utilized now to kind of kind of automate things or make it you know self aware or sentient or whatever the case may be from an AI perspective is that something you see?
1: I think a sentient secrets manager would be really freaking scary. Ooh, um, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think that AI has too much to do with secrets management of, of today, but I think there is a flip side of this, which is like machine learning and AI is getting better and better. And the applications for that are getting more and more intense right like if you look at open ai's codex thing that thing is really scary right it can write code now imagine if we had ai or machine learning looking at all the different ways to exploit a company's infrastructure and find security gaps right mm. um mm-hmm. that is really scary now it's like humans versus machines right yeah uh, <laughs> we're right. getting a little terminator here but mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. it in i Matrix. think yeah matrixy i mean well yeah that that is a scary thing. And so um, now on the flip side, you can also add machine learning and artificial intelligence to all the layers that would protect a, a secrets manager or just infrastructure in general, right? You can do uh, add machine learning to your, your traffic ingestion and find, uh, Cloudflare I think is famous for this, where they they look at each individual request and they say, is this an attack or is this good, right? Um, and, and on a scale, and depending on where it lands on the scale, they do different things. Um, so I, I think AI and... And machine learning is increasing the threats. So it's increasing the risk of each touchpoint we were talking about previously um, that a secret manager can help with. But um, in general, I mean, for every good application there is for AI and machine learning, there's probably two or three bad ones.
0: And also, Brian, help me understand, I, I am continuing to see low code and no code and just all of these different terms that, you know, developers are thinking about or talking about and implementing. Do, do you do you know a little bit about some of those things? Yeah, we have uh, tons of friends that are using no code or low code. We even have some mm. low code
1: stuff on our marketing site stuff like Webflow we use for our, our marketing website. OK. Um,
0: and what 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 exactly is it, though? Do, can you maybe give us a a refresher of what low code and no code? I have my own idea, but I'm sure I will be way off.
1: Sure. Um, it's kind of it's, it's similar to the name suggests. The idea is like instead of having all these engineering resources being used to um, build out something, can you have um, most of the building blocks uh, or most of the things that we use today can be formed into building blocks, repeatable units? So I go to Airbnb and I go to Google. They both have a login screen. They both have a registration form. They both work roughly the same way. Um, and so the idea is, can we have these building blocks that we reuse again and again with, and then we pretty it up with some different UI so that uh, Airbnb can have their brand and Google can have their brand um, without actually having to use any engineering resources? So uh, a good example would be Webflow. We it's a drag and drop editor that allows us to make our marketing website, and there was. Almost, I think no engineering that would involve to make our marketing website. Surprisingly, if you go back a couple of years, that wouldn't have been the case. I, like I built plenty of marketing sites that I had to code from scratch. And now I just have some of this drag and drop. And more importantly, my marketing team, um, our, our Doppler's marketing team, I don't wanna say my, but our, uh, the Doppler's marketing team can, can go and make changes to the marketing site without ever having an engineer in the loop, which is amazing because engineers don't wanna work on that stuff and they wanna work on really high impact things and marketing wants to move really fast. So it's a win-win. Um, and I think that's where low-code, no-code kind of comes in. Um, and then obviously, if you're, if you're building an application on no-code, low-code, that doesn't mean you have less secrets. It just means there are different things consuming those secrets.
0: Okay. And wh- what about some of the microservices? Do- um, Docker and Kubernetes, are, are those things that, that you're seeing kind of increase around, I guess, the way uh, customers are starting to architect their solutions and how does secrets management fit into, let's say, like a cu- Kubernetes a uh, container or something like that?
1: Yeah, so Kubernetes, Docker, those are all kind of like on the microservice trend. Um, and that's uh, on the three waves. One of them was uh, teams and deployments. And this is definitely where it increases the number of deployments you would have. I was actually talking to an enterprise customer this morning. who um, was talking about some very complicated uh, Kubernetes setup that they had, and they needed secrets management for it. And I, I kind of see it as like, imagine, uh, um, ima- imagine you have like this web and like uh, the web is like of services so you have your payment service you have your front end service if you your back end service and so on all those different services need their secrets and they may need different secrets but most importantly they need all of all of them and they need them to be in sync meaning if it changes in one place all of them need to be on the same uh, secret or the same update um, and that's where things get really tricky Is not when you have like one developer one service but when you have hundreds of developers and hundreds or even thousands of microservices, and all those need to stay in sync at any given time. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of think about it like, my my, my favorite example would be, uh, imagine I have a Word document and you have a Word document, and five other people have a Word document. And we're making changes to this Word document, and every time I make a change, I email you a copy and uh, and the five other people, and, and then you make a change and you email me back. And we're all on slightly different documents and, and it's just a pain. And we're all doing like surgical level merge resolution to make sure that we all kind of like stay in sync. And then Google Docs comes around and they're like, hey, why don't you just all edit on the same document, right, in real time? And that is, I believe the big difference between like today versus secrets managers. Today, everyone's using Word docs or the equivalent would be called like an ENV file, which is a plain text file with secrets, which is, like a no no on two fronts right it's unencrypted and it's a plain text file uh, or it's a file that now has to be emailed around or synced around um and then google docs or doppler or another secret manager comes around and says hey we're the central source of truth you put everything in here and then our job is to make sure it gets distributed everywhere else and and you don't have to worry about that anymore you just click the save button once
0: and right. it's done okay nice Nice. This is this is a very techie conversation, so <laughs> I'm, I'm sure everyone is going to get a lot of lot of value out of out of listening to this. The secrets management conversation. Um, and also, since this is the gumbo, data protection gumbo, compliance and regulations come up often. And how does I guess secrets management? Does that fit into, let's say, a compliance or governance Component or or regulations or, or restrictions. How does secrets management fit within that, or is that is that even a factor? It is and it
1: isn't. It a company that, for example, SOC two must have all their vendors that are SOC two, and so if they wanted to use a secrets manager, that that secrets manager has to be SOC two. And I think that is like the 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 weakest way that compliance fits in. I think where it actually should go in the future is just like how there's all these rules in SOC two and. Um, all these other compliance bodies of you must uh, like have pull requests for source control. So something doesn't get into production or, you, or I guess the, 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 you must have a review process on code. I think there should be the same thing around secrets management. I think any auditor that's listening or anyone that's in the compliance space should be thinking, oh man, one of the biggest ways we can actually prevent big scary things from happening is to add secrets management as a compliance requirement and, and from SOC 2 to the ISOs to the NITs to, to everything. Um, if you add secrets management, I think that in, in compliance is a hard requirement. That would do so much good for this world. It, it, it'd it be probably hard to
0: quantify. Okay. And we're going to start to wrap up here, I guess, more of a personal question. So you sure. you're still code today, right?
1: I do sometimes. My engineering team really doesn't like it when I code, though.
0: <laughs> no? They don't like it? You, you introduce too many too many bugs into the, into the code? Or... Um, no, it's actually
1: a different thing. We have this really mm-hmm. big focus at Doppler of ownership. Um, and so that kind of means that if you're building something, you own it end-to-end. You're reliable for it. You're accountable for it. Um, and sadly, the company has scaled to a point where I just can't be uh, someone who's accountable for writing code today because... I may be on a podcast or I may be doing an enterprise call or, or hiring someone or, or something else as, as a CEO. And so I wish I got to write more code. I think that is one of the things I wish someone told me back then that, hey, if you go down the road of being a CEO, you won't get to write code anymore because it, it would have made my decision making a little bit more clear uh, versus surprises along the road. So anyone who's a future CEO real, and you're an engineer, realize that today that you won't, you won't in, in two years' time or two and a half years' time, you probably won't be writing any code. And that's a good thing. It's just going to be really hard to, yeah. to get used to.
0: And s- since you are the CEO right now, what, what would you go back to tell your your eight-year-old self? Something that you mm. know now that yes. you didn't know then?
1: Yes. So two things. One, hiring is really freaking hard. It is so hard. And the reason why is because if you want to hire quality people that meet all your cultural values, that meet all the technical requirements you have, it, it's just like it, – it's like finding a needle in a haystack. It really is, it's it's very hard, especially in the early days when you don't have a brand. Like if you think about Uber or Twitter, like people are applying in the in bulk to these companies every day and they can just choose the best, right? Um, but when you're a startup, no one's heard of you, you're, risk, you're risky in a way because they're like, oh, is this company gonna die tomorrow, right? And even when you have funding and you can say, hey, we'll be around for the next four years, I can prove it, we got the money in the bank account. They may be still saying, oh, that's a little risky. So hiring is really hard. Hiring is really, really hard. Um, the second thing is this is more around the CEO lens, but I'll say it anyways. Um, I used to I used to think about building things as like oh or like a company is like could I build this? That was my question. Is like is this really cool and could I build this? And I actually think that's a wrong question to ask. Is like I, I think the better question is like is there a market for this? Um, like I never thought about that at all, and I think. Um, Doppler got very, or I got very, very lucky with Doppler in the sense where there was a market, and it was actually way bigger than we, than I ever could have thought of. But there have been like seven other startups I've done where there was no market, and it took me a while to realize that. Um, and so I would just say I would ask a question first of like, is this is this something that's a really, really big pain point that has a market where people want want it to be solved? And then the next question is, can I can I solve it? Um, but I think. The order of operations really matters there
0: and it it reminds me to ask you as you mentioned is there a market for it what's your book recommendation for for the audience it just sounds like this is the right time to ask that question mm.
1: well i am reading a book right now called how to win friends and influence people
0: yeah um yep. what's the name brian tracy
1: um i i think it. no i think it's a Dale
0: Carnegie, that's an oldie. I I hadn't read it in a while, but it's right up there with The Millionaire Next Door and also, oh man, it's another book, Napoleon Hill. I can't even think of it right now, but when you're put on the spot, you you can't really think about it. So,
1: yeah, it's it's really hard to think of books. Um, Definitely on the spot. I would, books are really interesting because uh, I, I would say another really good one, it's not about marketing but if it's more on the leadership side and i think it's this could this book could apply to like anyone if you're like an engineering manager to a ceo Mm -hmm. um it's called the one minute manager okay yeah i think yeah i think it's called the one minute manager there's also another one called the manager's path which is a little bit bigger both those are extremely extremely good um i the one thing i really like about the manager's path is they talk about what it's like to be an individual contributor first and they build on that then it's like like I, you go from IC to individual contributor to a mentor to a manager, right? And th- and there's like mm. a path there, and it, it makes logical sense. A lot of times when I was first starting my career, I'm like, ah, it seems like there's all these arbitrary roles, and some people manage other people, but I don't really know what it all means. And right. this kind of gives me like a, or gave me a blueprint to understand it all.
0: Yeah, I, I like I like that advice as well. And w- one thing that I am learning as I am kind of traversing through my career still and being introduced to to different roles, you know, having empathy. And making sure that the human factor—that you you're treating people as the good book says, the way you would like <laughs> to be treated—you know, not Absolutely. not being an asshole and you know just being an hor- a horrible person—it uh, it goes a long way as far as retention and keeping people uh, engaged and getting them to do things above and beyond what they were brought on to do, and do it uh, exciting excitingly, right? So yeah, those are all great things. And also, Brian, how can Gumbo listeners reach out to you on social media, whether that's LinkedIn or or Twitter?
1: Yeah, so my Twitter is uh, Valunga Brian, and I think it's the same thing for LinkedIn as well, Valunga Brian. Uh, Feel free to reach out on DMs. I am a little slow to respond on DMs because I I partially try to avoid Twitter as much as possible. I think Mm -hmm. there's so many conversations on there that it's like a rabbit hole. You can just look on, stay on your phone forever. but if I do see the message, I will. I, I I absolutely try to respond.
0: All right. Well, it's definitely fantastic and awesome to to have your insights on data protection gumbo. I truly appreciate uh, everything that you have Im- imparted in us uh, around knowledge and insights on on secrets and security and a little bit about ransomware and look. We we covered a broad range of topics, so that's that's also a gumbo a gumbo thing that we do. So Brian, thanks again. All right. Thank you
1: so much. It was a pleasure uh, chatting with you and uh, getting to share a little little part of my journey with, uh, with the audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.